Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Man, thank you guys for all showing up on the same Sunday. This is awesome. Good to have the whole family with us today. Um, hey, how many enjoyed uh, that second to last song we did, New Name? Uh, yeah. I don't know where Jonah went, but uh, our, our friend Jonah here, oh, right there in the front row. Uh, many of you saw on our social media handles this week that uh, we released our first single, which I don't know what that means, uh, other than we feel pretty cool about it. But uh, Jonah wrote that song uh, as we were getting ready to launch this church, and it really has become a bit of a declaration around here. But uh, for those of you who do not subscribe to music streaming platforms, and you can't just simply go down or go into your Apple iTunes or whatever the droid people do on their phones, um, and sorry, I just don't know because I don't have one. Uh, But if you don't have the ability to download that song for free, uh, we want to make it accessible to you so that you don't have to purchase it. Uh, As you leave today, our ushers are going to give you a little download card, and you'll be able to uh, listen to that song for free from our website. Uh, You can download it to your phone. Um, I think actually only the Droid users can download it to their phone. Sorry. Yeah, okay. But the rest of us, uh, you'll have to listen to it right there on the platform on the website. But we just want to get that to you uh, so that you can begin to sing it in your car, sing it in your house, sing it over your coworker when they're just... I don't know, that would be weird, but whatever, whatever you need to do, uh, it's a great song. We want to get it into everybody's hands, but it is, in fact, more than a song, and I do want to camp uh, for the few moments we have together this morning on that simple thought and on the declaration of that song, because uh, while we are uh, singing it out during worship and while it has become a bit of an anthem for our church, I believe wholeheartedly that that song is a prophetic declaration for our city. I really do, that God is going to give this city a new reputation and a new name. Um, if you study the, uh, the planting process of most churches, here's what you'll find. At their genesis, kind of at the beginning, uh, God usually gives the leadership a scripture, a promise through his word, uh, as a bit of a prophetic declaration to become the, the compass, the, the navigator, the, 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 the focal point to stay on mission. Uh, I, I want to honor our pastor, uh, Pastor Donna Patterson. Pastor Dave's preaching this morning in Vacaville, but Pastor Donna, uh, mine and Robin's pastors are here today. And when they started the church in Vacaville, uh, God gave them Exodus 33, which says, uh, if you don't send us out without your presence, don't send us up from this place, because what will distinguish us from any other people group on the face of the planet, that we need the presence of Jesus. That was uh, the Father's House scripture when they started. Uh, for us, as we began to pray and and ask God what he wanted to do in San Francisco before we had a building, before we had a team, before we had a dollar in the bank, he gave us a prophetic promise through his scripture in Isaiah chapter 62. And I, I will remember this like it was yesterday for the rest of my life. We were sitting in my living room. My wife and I were doing our morning Bible study together, which just sounds way more sweet than it really is. Uh, but uh, I was reading through this Bible reading plan and I had Uh, No idea that during that particular morning reading, I was going to stumble upon the life scripture for the Father's house. But as I was sitting there on December 3rd, 2017, the Holy Spirit began to breathe on Isaiah 62. And and let me share with you what I read that morning, because I think it'll resonate with you if this is your home and this is your church. Here's what it says. Uh, Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you. Oh, San Francisco. By the way, I added that. That's not actually in the Bible, just to be clear. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. You should read your Bible more. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. 
O San Francisco, just as a young man commits himself to his bride, then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Tell the people of San Francisco, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. They will be called the holy people and the people redeemed by the Lord. And San Francisco will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. Man, as I read that scripture out, I began to weep and I text all my friends who pastor churches here in the city and I just said, guys, this is for us. This is our promise for the city. Uh, my wife and I, we began to pray every single day over that scripture. And then as a team began to develop, we told the team to begin to pray that scripture out and declare it over our city. And then as uh, the team started meeting together and we held prayer meetings, uh, we printed it out on pieces of paper and we told them to pray it out uh, over the city. And then we prayer walked the Sunset District and we went down all the avenues and we began to pray that declaration over San Francisco. And if you've been here for the last year, you've probably gotten a piece of merchandise from us that has that particular promise on there. We embroidered hats and screen printed shirts and we've done everything we know how to, how to do in order to dec declare over our city that we believe that God is giving it a new name. But as I was thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, knowing that this day was gonna come, the, the thought that like we can just make some kind of declaration from this room over a city seemed a bit overwhelming and, and the Holy Spirit spoke something to me and this is what I wanna talk to you about this morning. As much as we would love to declare that San Francisco is going to have a new reputation, it's going to be known by a new name, it's not going to be the forsaken city any longer, it will be redeemed by the Lord. Really, at the end of the day, the only way that promise takes place, the only way we lay hold of a new name, if you will, the only way that prophecy becomes reality is if it becomes personal. It can't just be this nebulous collection of humans called San Francisco. It has to be a personal promise that's laid hold of by every single person in this room and in this city. It's a personal promise. When Isaiah spoke this out in Isaiah 62, here's what he said in verse 11. He said, tell the people of Jerusalem or of San Francisco that this is what the Lord says about them. Not just stand on a hilltop and declare, you're a new city. That's not what he was saying saying, no, the people have to own this. They have to buy into this. They need to understand that no longer will they be called by what they used to do. No longer will they be called by their old reputation, but there is a new name for every single individual, a new identity for every single individual in this city. Let me say it like this. In order for a city to identify with a new name, its people must identify with a new name. And so as we start here on the second year as a church and we have a few minutes together today. I wanna, I wanna talk to you about how you can personally embrace this promise of a new name. How you can personally embrace God's identity over your life. Because listen, it's, it's more important than you think. Uh, ultimately, the name that you identify with will determine how you live your life. I've said this many times before and I will continue to say it as long as we are a church. <laughs> I, I believe that every person lives according to their perceived identity. In other words, the way you see yourself ultimately determines how you will live your life. That image that you see in the mirror, it's bigger than you think. The things you say about yourself, the things you think about yourself, it's bigger than you think because it actually does chart the course of your life. If you believe that you are a failure, if you believe that you're good for nothing, if you believe that you are unsuccessful or unattractive or fill in the blank, guess what? You're gonna carry yourself as such. You're gonna walk around with your head down and your shoulders hanging and you're gonna live your life according to the way you see yourself. 
But if instead you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, if you know that you are the righteousness of Christ Jesus, that you are above and not beneath, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are more than a conqueror in him, that you are blessed and highly favored, if you understand that and you see that as your identity, it will drastically change the way you live your life. Not just walking around with confidence and swagger, but it will change the way you look at your problems. It will change the way you look at your situations. It will change the way you look at at the attack of the enemy because you understand, no, I can get over this. I can get through this. God is still for me. He's called me. We can make it. Like, it will change the way you live your life. And so if we're going to live up to this new name, we have to see ourselves differently. I even believe as I say that this morning that there are people in this room that you do not see yourself correctly. You see yourself in light of failures and in light of the past by the Holy Spirit today. I believe God's going to take the scales off of your eyes and you're going to begin to see yourself in the light of Christ Jesus before you leave this place today. So I want to read a couple of scriptures as we get into this. In, uh, one in Romans chapter 7 and then another one in Galatians. And then I will peel this back and... and, and, and uh, And open it up a little bit. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Here's what it says. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I seem to do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Can anybody else say that that scripture is kind of reading their mail today? Okay, me and five people. The rest of y'all are lying. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I think we all kind of live in that place. All right, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. One more, and then we'll get into it. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. Uh, if you want to take notes this morning, I want to title this chat on our one-year anniversary, The Bride-to-Be, The Bride-to-Be. Uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, we love you this morning. And Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done over the past 12 months in this church. And as much as we are grateful for salvations and generosity and team that's been developed and influence in the city and all the things that you've done, we know because we've read it in your word, we trust it in our heart that Our greatest days are not, in fact, behind us over the last 12 months, but there is so much more you want to do in the next year. We thank you for every promise that we still cling to that hasn't been fulfilled yet. We thank you for every family member and every friend that people have been asking to to see come to church and see come to a saving knowledge of you, that this is their year. God, we thank you for the things that you're going to do over the next 12 months. But, Lord, in order for us to step into the fullness of what you have, in order for us to identify with this new name, It requires we see ourselves correctly. So I pray every person in this room today that has said something negative over themselves or uh, looks in the mirror and doesn't like what they see, that, Lord, you would reveal the true image, the true promise, the true identity to us today before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Taylor, you can throw that picture up on the screen. Uh, There was a family who had a dog, and Misha was her name-o. That is a picture of our dog, Misha, about, uh, I don't know, a few months before she passed away. And uh, you can see the look on all of my family members' faces there. Uh, But uh, Misha was a great dog. You can take that off the screen. Uh, She was with us for 16 years. By dog standards, she made it a really long time. She was like probably in her hundreds if you added it up in human years. And she was a great dog, one of the coolest dogs. Um, She was a lab, pit, and chow mix. Black eyes, black tongue, black fur. She was just like... She's kind of like Knight Rider. She was awesome. And 
For those of you who don't know who Knight Rider is, then you should get educated on real entertainment. Um, <laughs> but she was the greatest dog on the planet, super duper friendly. And uh, that picture, uh, although she passed away a few months before that, we actually thought she was going to die maybe seven or eight months before that picture was taken. Uh, and about a year before she died, Misha had a stroke, which I didn't even know dogs could do. Um, but uh, she had a stroke. We took her to the vet, and they told us, hey, it's kind of the beginning of the end, but do you want to put her down? And we're like, no, we don't want to put her down yet. Let's let her live out the rest of her days and enjoy among her family members. And so we took her home. But uh, during the course of that next year, there were about four times where we thought, okay, this is the end. She's going to die now. And I, I, but I promise you, every time I picked up the phone to call the vet, it's like she heard me talking in the background. And I'm like, hey... I think it's time. Do we need to bring her in? And they're like, yeah, you can bring her in and hang up the phone. She'd just kind of stand up and wag her tail. She's like, no, I'm fine. Don't kill me. You know, it's like she was, she really wanted to stick around. So, uh, so we let her stick around and she ended up passing away in our home. And after 16 years, of course, we knew it was her time, but we were all pretty devastated. Robin and I had her the entire time that we were married. Uh, my kids only grew up in a home with a dog. They didn't know what life was like without Misha. And so we didn't know how the family was going to process this death. And for us, we were devastated, and we assumed that our kids were going to be devastated as well because, again, they grew up with this dog around them. Uh, come to find out, both of my daughters have very different responses to death. Um, my oldest daughter responded as any normal emotional human should. Uh, she mourned the loss of the dog. She walked around the house and cried a little bit. And she'd come into our room in the middle of the night and she'd say, I had a dream about Misha. We were running through a field together and I just miss her so much. And, you know, we'd cuddle her and tell her everything was going to be okay. My youngest daughter, <laughs> not so much. Um, she's slightly emotionless, a little heartless. Sometimes she says things that I'm like, do you know Jesus? Like... <laughs> You know that your parents are pastors, right? Like, you should probably get it together. She doesn't respond. In fact, true story. Yesterday, we're riding our bikes around Lake Merced, and uh, she comes across a dead squirrel. And my oldest daughter is like, ew, this is disgusting. Whoa, oh, I'm going to throw up. Please get me away from it. Oh, the poor squirrel. Like, she's responding as a normal kid would. My other daughter, the youngest, she's like, can we ride our bikes over it and step on it? And I'm like... <laughs> She's twisted. So <laughs> when it came to the death of our dog, I was a little surprised by her reaction. Not only did she not mourn, uh, but she actually did something incredibly disrespectful to our, our dead dog. Two days, 48 hours after the dog passes away, my kids are getting ready in the morning, and they are at each other's throats, as sisters can be um, at times. And I'm running in and out of their bedroom trying to contain them, like, hey, you need to get along. If you, and you know, like, those threats you make as parents, like, I'm going to take every toy away. I'm going to burn it all down. Like, I, you know, those things you say to your kids. I'd done all that at this point. And so finally I said, listen, i got to get in the shower. i got to get ready. I need five minutes. Get along for five minutes. So I said, okay. I get in the shower. I come out of the shower. And as soon as I get out of the shower, I just hear them screaming at one another. So I run into the room. I'm like, what is happening? Livy looks at me, and she says, points at her bed, and she says, Ellie, put that on my bed. And I look at her bed. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's nothing on your bed. She said, Ellie, put that on my bed. I look a little closer. I'm like, I don't see anything on your bed. What are you talking about? I look at Ellie and she's like, she's crazy. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so she grabs me by my towel because I just kind of showered. She drags me over to her bed and she points and she says, Ellie, put that on my bed. And I look 
And it is the tiniest leaf I have ever seen in my life. And I, I'm not proud of this moment, but I kind of snapped. I'm like, are you stinking kidding me? What's the matter with you? It's just a little leaf. Ellie, did you put the leaf there? Ellie's like, I didn't put the leaf there. I have no idea what she's talking about. She wants to kill squirrels. Like, we, you know, what's, what's wrong with her? I don't know. So I look back at Livia and I said, hey, Ellie says she didn't put it on your bed. What's the problem? So she stops. I kid you not. This is what she said. She thought about it for about five seconds. She said, Misha put that on my bed. <laughs> I look back at my daughter. I'm like, are you kidding me? Misha is dead. <laughs> How dare you drag our graceful dog's name through the dirt 48 hours after she passes away. What, Misha put that on you? She doesn't even live here anymore. She's with Jesus, where all dogs belong. <laughs> what kind of sick, twisted, sadistic child <laughs> blames a dead dog for something she probably did herself? What kind of person does that? I'll tell you, my kid. But also, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. if you caught this as we read Romans chapter 7 a moment ago, but he's actually doing exactly what my daughter did. He, he seems to be blaming his actions on something that's supposed to be dead. So Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, hey, uh, this life that I now live, I don't live it by the flesh. My flesh has been put to death. My sinful nature has been put to death, right? Like, I'm not that guy anymore. No, I live under the, the power and the unction of Christ Jesus now. I have a new life. It's no longer me who's living. It's Christ in me that's alive. In other words, I put to death the sinful nature, and now I'm living for Jesus. But then the same guy writes in Romans chapter 7, you know, sometimes I do some things that I don't really like. They're things that I'm not proud of. But, uh... It's not really me doing it when I do it. It's actually this dead thing that's living on the inside of me that continues to do it. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, Paul. Which, which is it? Is it that you've been crucified with Christ and you're now living this new life, you're alive in Jesus and that thing has been put to death? Or is it in fact that your sin nature is still alive and it's still working against you and it forces you to do things you don't want to do? Which is it? Who are we going to blame for your negative actions? Like imagine that in real life for just a moment. Imagine I operated the same way Paul did in Romans chapter seven. I walk up to Dylan and I'm like, hey, Dylan, how you doing? And I punch him directly in the face. And Dylan looks at me, he's like, bro, why did you hit me in the face? I'm like, oh, don't worry. Sometimes I do things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. But fear not. Although I just punched you in the face, it wasn't actually me doing it. He's going to look at me and say, uh, yes, it was. You literally just punched me in the face. Oh, no, 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 that wasn't me. It was something on the inside of me. Uh, that's demented. <laughs> that's weird. You're going to have me admitted to an asylum. Like, how can we blame our actions on some dead thing that's living on the inside of us? I want to suggest to you this morning that 
What the Apostle Paul states here in Romans chapter 7 is not some convenient cop-out for him to blame what he's done on somebody else so that he can kind of skirt the responsibility and feel like he's okay with Jesus. Rather, what I believe the Apostle Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 7 is he is tapping into a truth that every single believer must be convinced of and convicted of if we are going to lay hold of this new name and this new identity that Jesus has given us. Because what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7 when he says, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I do want to do, I can never do it. But when I do what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. What he's really saying is, I am not what I do. In other words, my identity is not rooted in my actions. My identity is not the byproduct of my failures or my successes. I do not define my life by what I do. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, my identity is rooted in something else. Some days I have great days. Other days, not so much. Sometimes I'm crushing it. Sometimes I'm blowing it. But at the end of the day, regardless of how I'm living my life, my identity is not formed as a byproduct of my actions. It's rooted in something else. I am not what I do. Now, that sounds like a powerful truth, and it might get a couple of amens around a room, but that's a much easier truth celebrated than experienced, is it not? Especially in our world. Because in our world, your identity is absolutely the byproduct of what you do. You are what you do in this world. Your actions determine who you are. And if you do not believe me, I invite you to get on a plane, turn to the stranger next to you, and what's the first thing that someone's going to ask you? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do for a living? We try to size people up by what they do. Like if you tell me what you do, I can pretty well figure out what you're all about, what your personality's like. You know, I, I, can, I can measure the entirety of your life by a brief conversation just by finding out what you do. And by the way, if you don't ever want to get into one of those conversations, you can borrow my vocation because no one ever really wants to talk to a pastor. It's great. Like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever met him before? Sky Mall Magazine. It's amazing. You never have to talk to somebody next to you. It's great. If I want to talk, true story, if I ever want to talk to somebody, I just tell them I'm a motivational speaker and it's great. They're like, oh, cool. Okay. The pastor shuts him down every single time. Yeah, in our world, you are what you do. It's the nature of the globe that we live on. Our actions determine our identity. If you succeed, then you are successful. If not, you're a failure. If you win, you're a winner. If not, you're a loser. I'm not saying that to offend anybody. It's just the nature of our world. That's how our minds are, are, are functioning in this society. Our identity is rooted in what we do. But we can get into some dangerous territory when we begin to apply that same logic to our faith. Because here's what it sounds like when we begin to apply our actions to identity when it comes to Jesus. I do good, I am good. I do bad, I am bad. I do good. If I, if, I can, if I can hold it together, if I can come to church, pay my tithe, read my Bible, pray a little bit, if I can do Christian things, then I qualify to be named among the Christian brethren. And I, I, can, I can own that name. I can own that identity. But the second I fail, the second I fall, 
The second I do something that I know is wrong, suddenly I have an identity crisis on my hand because I've done something bad. I assume, based on the way my mind works, that I am now bad. I am now disqualified. Do good, I am good. Do bad, I am bad. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we can say, I have been in that place many times before. And sometimes it even doesn't matter how much scripture you declare out, you still feel guilty in your heart and you still feel disqualified in your heart based on your actions. And you begin to buy into the enemy's idea of identity, which is rooted in failure. I am what I've done. I can't believe I did that. But listen to me very clearly today. If you are in that place, if before you walked into these doors and saw the balloon thing and the welcome home sign and all the happy people, if you were sitting in your car thinking, man, I made a mistake again, I blew it again, I just, I don't even know if I can lift my hands during worship. If that's where you're at right now, you need to be able to declare, as the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7, I know that I did something I don't want to do. I know that my actions don't align with what I declare I should be doing right now. But at the end of the day, I am not what I've done. My identity is rooted in something far more stable than my fickle actions and my ability to hold it all together and to follow all the rules. I might have made a mistake, but I am not a mistake. I might have failed, but I am not a failure. I might have fell back into my addiction last night, but I I am not an addict. I might have pushed it a little bit too far sexually, but that is not who I am anymore. I have been saved. I have been washed. I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I am his. I'm the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Not as some cop-out to get away from your actions and to feel a little bit better about yourself and to coddle you emotionally, but as a faith declaration, I am who Jesus says I am. I will not be defined by my actions. Now, here's the million dollar question because we can applaud that and we can say, yes, that's great. But if we're honest, most of us would say, I'm not there yet. I really am not. Like, I want to be, but I'm not there yet. How do I get to that place? So, so let me offer you some advice that many cheesy preachers before me have offered to congregations before. It is true, but it is cheesy. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When you forget who you are, remember whose you are. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so deep. When you forget who you are, remember whose you are. Back to our passage in Isaiah we started with. As you read through this promise in Isaiah 62, this prophetic declaration about a new name, there's a phrase that pops up a few times in this declaration that I think all of us need to be able to identify with if we're truly going to embrace this new name. Look at what he says in Isaiah 62 verse 4. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, San Francisco, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Four times in this declaration, we are referred to as a bride. Hence the title of the sermon, The Bride-to-Be. 
You are a bride. All throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike, God uses this analogy of marriage to illustrate the relationship between him and humanity. In the book of Hosea, he talks about how he restores a marriage. In the New Testament, through Ephesians and Revelation, he says, I'm coming back for a spotless bride. That is who we are. As the church of Jesus Christ, you're the bride, I'm the bride, we are all the bride. In fact, why don't you just turn to somebody next to you and say, you make a beautiful bride. Come on. Come on, if you're single, I just teed you up, baby. You are a beautiful bride. Oh, I'm not married. Well, let's go. Hey. You're welcome. You're the bride. I'm six foot eight and 250 pounds. You're the bride. <laughs> uh, this is an identity that every one of us must be able to lay hold of, to understand, to 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 grab onto if we're truly going to embrace the new name that God has given to us because nobody understands a new name like a bride. How many married people do we have here? How many married people? Married people. The happy people in the room. Okay. How many want to be married? No, don't put your hand up. Okay. <laughs> Marriage is great. My wife and I have been married for 15 years. And uh, I can honestly say we are in the greatest season of marriage that we've ever been in. Uh, we love each other dearly. Uh, it's passionate. It's great. We have two kids to prove that it's passionate. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> but we've been going through this marriage study with a couple of married groups on our core team, uh, or married couples on our core team. And uh, we've been uh, watching John and Lisa Bevere, and they made this statement I loved. He said, marriage enlarges your life. It makes your life bigger. So many people think like, oh, when I get married, I'm going to settle down. It's going to shrink my life. I'm not going to have friends. And I'm going to do anything. I can't go golfing anymore. Like, ah. But marriage enlarges your life. It makes your life bigger. It makes your life better. And I can say a big yes and amen to that. Marriage has made my life so much greater. But there is some truth to the statement that when you get married, you lose some stuff. It's just the nature of how marriage works. For example, uh, when you get married, you lose the ability to say my any longer or mine any longer. <laughs> Nothing is yours. You are one flesh. Everything is now ours, okay? It's not my house anymore. It's our house. And as our house, it means that you lose the right to choose how it is decorated and how the walls are painted and <laughs> where the furniture is arranged. In my house, that changes every two months, okay? Like my wife likes to move stuff around. Yeah. It's no longer my money. It's our money. That's a revelation to somebody. <laughs> and conversely, it's no longer her debt. It is our debt together. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to marriage. It's no longer my meal at the restaurant. <laughs> Come on, somebody preach. It is now our meal at the restaurant and we get to share it. Those are the rules. Like you don't get your own meal any longer. I actually kind of love it because I get to try two things on the menu. It's the greatest thing. Marriage is awesome. You lose some things when you get married. But perhaps no greater loss is there than the loss of the name of the bride. The bride loses her very identity. Like, I know every analogy breaks down at some point, so I understand this is 2019 and not 1920, so not everybody takes upon themselves the name of their groom. But in most cases, when you get married, the wife's identity completely changes. The bride becomes somebody else's name. In my marriage, uh, before we got married, my wife's maiden name was Robin Leary. 
and then she got biddled, and she became Robin Biddle. <laughs> and I went through Google, just to, out of curiosity this last week, and I Googled Robin Leary on Google. And I went through five pages. You know, I could not find a single page or a single reference to my wife. Why? Because 15 years ago, her identity changed. 15 years ago, there was a moment where she said, I'm going to associate with a new name. And the old name, with all of the stuff that came along with it, kind of just disappeared as a distant memory. She had a new name. Now, when I, when I Googled Robin Biddle, there's five pages of Instagram photos and Facebook things and things she probably doesn't even know are on the web, you know, but things that she would like to get erased or whatever, but it's all there. Why? Because she has a new name. That is her name. If you look at her license, right next to her pretty picture, Robin Biddle. She signs Robin Biddle. That is her new name. Now, there was a season when we first got married for a short period of time where she might have accidentally signed the wrong name or referred to herself by the wrong name. But after 15 years of saying, no, I've been a bride, my name has been changed. She knows who she is now. She understands her identity. And there's no going back. Sorry. <laughs> and as long as we stay married, which we better, <laughs> she will never again be called by her old name. So when Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 62, Never again will you be called the forsaken city. Never again will you be called the desolate place. It is not some attempt to coddle emotionally a group of people who are confused about who they are. It is a statement of faith to say, I am still the bridegroom and you are still the bride. And as long as we are still in relationship, I don't care what you say about yourself and I don't care what's been said about you. You have been given a new name from the Lord's own mouth. You are the holy people. You are the redeemed of the Lord. And when you forget who you are, you just need to remember whose you are. You are mine. You are my bride. Let me declare over you this morning in our last couple of moments here. Hey, you have a new name. You are not known by your old name any longer. The second you said yes to Jesus, you became the bride and you lost the right to identify with the old name and the old nature. There's some new things that have been spoken out over your life and your identity is not confirmed by your season. It is not the byproduct of what you're walking through right now. You are still the bride, whether you're in a season of sickness or of health, whether you're in a season of lack or a season of plenty, whether it's good times or it's bad times, whether you're winning or you're failing, it does not matter. As long as you aren't dead, you haven't parted yet, and you are still the bride of Jesus Christ. You have been given a new name. And as for our city, I refuse to buy in to the negative report of what San Francisco will be named. If the people know what their new name is, then a city will begin to identify with a new name. No longer will this city be called perverted. No longer will this city be called greedy. No longer will this city be called godless or the forsaken city or those that are disinterested in the things of God. No, our city will be given a new name from the Lord's own mouth. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. There will yet be revival in San Francisco. 
There will yet be a move of God that is historic in nature where hundreds and thousands of people come and they say yes to Jesus. Not just in our church, but in every God-speaking, Jesus-preaching church in this city. Why? Because it came from the Lord's own mouth. This was a declaration on his accord. He declares over San Francisco, your best days are not behind you. The Jesus movement was great, but there is something even greater that is coming to this city. I've spoken it from my lips, and as long as it came out of my mouth, it is their new identity. We've been given a new name. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.